Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Want to learn a new language? And who doesn't? Well, experience immersive lessons from the most trusted language app, Rosetta Stone. You know you keep telling yourself you want to learn a new language. The true accent feature even gives feedback on your pronunciation so you can speak the language like a native. Find lessons as short as 10 minutes, making it easy for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. StarTalk begins right now. This is StarTalk Sports Edition. And a Cosmic Queries version of Sports Edition that we're calling Exercise Your Mind. And in this, what we do is we got questions solicited from professional star athletes. And they're cosmic questions. I mean, they got questions too, just like the rest of us. So this episode is devoted to them. And of course, I got my co-host, Chuck Nice. Hey, hey, what's happening, Neil? All right, Chuck. And Gary, Gary O'Reilly. Hi, Neil. Okay, the only one of the three of us that has professional street cred for sports. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck is in good shape, but I don't think he ever did anything athletic. I saw him try try to swing the bat at a softball. It's like he had never been on a field before. Well, you know, that's because I had never been on a field before. (laughs) That's why. And that that is a testament to my natural athletic ability. (laughs) And I was able to pick that game up in five minutes and actually play. That's what I should have been impressed. That's right. By how bad you were. That's <laughs> right. That's right. You know how you know how good you got to be to be that bad. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary. You know we we've been around each other a long time, but I never actually bluntly asked you this question. How many years did you play professional uh, soccer in in the UK? Fourteen years. Whoa. Wow. Um, but you're in the system long before that. Yeah, you 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 sort of join now. You would join a top soccer team's academy at the age of maybe seven. Ooh, and you would trans transit through the age groups, transit through into what they call development squads now, which are under twenty three. Back in the day, they were called a reserve team, a second team squad. And I would be playing, if you showed talent, you would be playing 
in that development squad, that reserve team at the age of 16, 17 years of age. Mm. So Gary, one other thing about the UK. Uh, so obviously soccer is big there as it is in all of Europe and most of the world. In the whole yeah. world. <laughs> yeah. um, but also rugby is a pretty big sport there, right? Oh man, rugby is football. The first, the first iteration, it is known as rugby football. So football started off as men carrying a ball in their hands. Some clever person decided to introduce kicking it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I, I've seen a few rugby matches. That's some, that's some, that's some raw stuff going on there. It's, yeah. nothing, it's nothing but a bar fight with a ball. <laughs> that's what it is. That's it's what rugby is. It's a bar fight. It's a bar fight with a ball. That's all. Yeah. Uh, so here's the, here's the way that it gets described: the two sports, soccer and rugby football, or football if you want to call it that. Um, soccer is a game for gentlemen played by hooligans, and rugby is a game for hooligans played by gentlemen. Oh, oh very good. Very. And when you see the way rugby players behave on the field, once the umpire or the referee says no. They stand, they pay attention. If they have to move back, they move back. The very advantage. They are well-mannered. And then they go and knock the snot out of each other. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. Okay. It is, yeah, and I mean, there's no shoulder pads. Here's the one, here's the law of, the rug, of rugby that gets most people. You can only move forward by passing the ball backwards. Backwards, yeah. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That DNA is still resident in American football in that... You can forward pass the ball, but mm -hmm. you can only lateral the ball either in the plane or behind you. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you lateral so, the ball forward, it is, it's, it's a penalty. So another point there is I've seen rugby players like dragged along the field like face first. And there's no helmet, there's no knee pads, there's no anything. Whereas, of course, in American football, they're fully protected in every important joint and vital organ, <laughs> the brain. So, so Gary, you have boy rugby, there's also like girl rugby. When, when, when did it become a, a double, a, a two-sex thing? Um, it's been, women's rugby has been around for some time. Um, mm -hmm. And it's organized to the extent they have women's rugby World Cups. So the tournaments that the men play and the women are a mirror image of that. I remember interviewing international women's rugby players back in the early 90s. So this, this has been organized to a sufficient level. So going back probably into the 80s, where women rugby, women's rugby was sophisticated enough for there to be a high enough level to be international games. Uh, I think the US women's rugby side i'm not sure of when that became a thing but they've uh, they've entered into the international stage and as you can imagine they leave a footprint because uh, the the girls are every bit as predisposed as the boys when it comes to playing rugby mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so because I, I, I lead into that because our first question is from a u.s women's rugby star and I, I get her name right, Nicole Heverland. Heverland. Right. Yes. So if we've mispronounced it, Nicole, please don't come and see Neil or I. Go and see Chuck. Um, <laughs> there you have it. Why, why be any different than anybody else, Nicole? Just so, just so as people understand who Nicole Heverland is, she is captain of the U.S. women's sevens team. Now, the sevens team is a much faster game. So there's only seven players on each team. Whereas on the full 
team, there's 15. So she is captain of the women's seven team. So it's a much faster, much more exciting game. And both the men and the women play it. But uh, Nicole, just to give her her proper credence in the, in the real game, the 15 aside game, she was part of the U.S. international team in the 2017 World Cup in Ireland where the U.S. got to the semi-finals or semi-finals, if semi-final is too painful for your ears. Okay. No, we're good with either pronunciation of semi. All right. Right. Well, let's hear, Nicole, let's hear Nicole's question. Hey, Neil, how's it going? Do you think we will see interplanetary colonization within our lifetime? Ooh, excellent question. And very hopeful, too. I like questions that kind of want things to happen not ever, but now. Right. <laughs> yeah, before I die, will this happen? And so it turns out that rocket propulsion we're still based, is still based on sort of chemical fuels, which means you have some molecule and you break it apart and energy gets released and you then you exploit that energy. That's how gasoline works. These are huge molecules that are chock full of energy. When you burn it, you break apart the molecule and energy is released. This is our rocket fuel, okay? Not gasoline, but other, other varieties. And it turns out we can accelerate and get to speeds high enough to go pretty much anywhere in the solar system before we die. So the solar system technically is within reach of astronaut travel, even out to, you know, Neptune, let's say, the edge of the planetary system. Mm. Get over it. Yeah, I was, was going <laughs> to say, there's, there is somebody out there past Neptune. <laughs> Get over it. There's one little person out there past <laughs> Neptune. <laughs> so... Um, so it's possible. And so the only thing restricting it is uh, what is the motivation to do so? It's one thing to explore when you get on your spacesuit and you go hop, hop around a, some kind of planetary surface that's not Earth. But if you want to colonize, that means one of two things. You have terraformed the object, which is my, my favorite word of the past 50 years, terraform, where you take something that's not Earth and then you seed the atmosphere and the soils and introduce water or lasso a comet and melt it, and then you turn it into Earth. So then you can just get off your spaceship and just breathe the air, right? That's kind of ideal. By the way, you'd have to do that if you want to pursue the analogy of space exploration as the next generation of the, the age of, of ocean-going explorers, in the 15th and 16th century, right? They go out into the wide ocean blue, not knowing where the destination is. Will they come back alive? We don't know. And they want to analogize space exploration to that. But here's the problem. The problem is <laughs> you knew that wherever Columbus was going to land, he could step off the ship and breathe the air. <laughs> there was no, okay? In fact, there were other people there to greet him. So that is not the case on Mars or on Venus or anywhere else. So it's, it's manifold harder to go to a place that's not Earth and then claim you want to pitch tent. So either you we figure out a way to terraform, which we don't know how to do yet, or you set up a HAB module, right? Just some, you know, some big tent, right? Some big bubble put vending machines or whatever. You need a supply chain of ships 
to bring you food and natural resources. But then that's that's not a colony. I, I wouldn't mind a vacation there. That'd be just kind of fun to talk about when you get back. But to permanently live in a place where walking out the front door will kill you, I, I don't see that as a high priority in our lifetime. Pro- but, uh, clearly, you have never lived in Chicago. <laughs> Walking out the front door, you put your life at risk. Saying, and please do not write me if you're from Chicago. It's called a joke. Get over it. <laughs> well, New York used to be like that in the '70s and early '80s. There's, um, there's a lot of places around the planet that have been like that and may still be like that, or, or may become that if we keep going. So, anyhow, so I don't think in our lifetime we'll colonize, but certainly places to visit now. What places we might visit? No, you can't land on Saturn or on Jupiter. They're all gaseous. But their moons have hard surfaces. That would be cool. You just imagine landing on Europa, all right? And there'd be these geysers because there's water deep below the frozen sheets. And then you look, look up, and then there's Jupiter. Massive Jupiter sitting there in the sky. Or Saturn with its ring system. So so uh, when you think all, of... We have already landed on Europa. Uh Probes, yeah, I'm talking about you. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, yeah. I'm, I, that's Europe. That's Europe. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's, I was just, <laughs> I was just thinking of white people. That's all. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop it. When you think of interplanetary travel, you need to widen your concept of that and embrace not simply the eight planets, <laughs> but, <laughs> but also the countless dozens of moons in orbit around all of these planets that themselves would make fascinating destinations. All right. And so now to end it all, which one are you going to? Which which would be your choice? Mm. Ooh. Mm. Oh. Ah. Okay. First, uh, give me, give me two choices. First, I'd want to go to the moon and look back at Earth. I want to do what the astronauts did. That's kind of cool. It'd be Very- like... It's romantic. It's romantic, and I get to look back at our own home. Beyond that, I think I would go to Mars, for sure. Um, And then from there, I'd go to maybe Titan. That's Saturn's largest moon. And I want to look up. And I want to... Now, Titan is a thick atmosphere, so it's not very transparent. Um, But before I landed on Titan, I just want to see the ring system of Saturn and just bask in its glory and in its majesty. Mm, very nice, very nice. And, and I'd brush up on my ability to write poetry because maybe that is the only way to capture what that looks like and what that feels like. Mm, very nice, okay. Interplanetary prose. Pro. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Gary, interplanetary prose. Well, we gotta take a break. When we come back, more Cosmic Queries, Exercise Your Mind edition of Star Talks Sports Edition when we come back. Sleep, grocery shopping themselves. Just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add 
taxes to their list. So for all you working moms, make the easy switch to H&R Block and have an expert make easy work of your taxes. H&R Block guarantees your taxes are 100% accurate and your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even have an H&R Block tax pro do your taxes in a block office or online from the comfort of your own home. Can your current tax guy promise all that? When you're buried under life's to-dos, let the experts at H&R Block stay on top of your taxes with a return that's right on the money and your biggest refund possible. Because tax season after tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Descriptions of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. Cosmic Queries. Exercising your mind. See what we did there? We, we solicited questions from professional athletes. They have questions too. And so, Gary, who do we have next? We have an interesting character, Joey Barzinski. He's a professional skateboarder. I sound like I'm introducing him for a quiz show. Um, (laughs) 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 He's he's an entrepreneur. He has a whole raft of companies he's founded. He's co-producer of the movie Concrete Kids, which I haven't seen, but I'm sure it's brilliant. He's also a skater with more tricks than David Copperfield, and I can tell you, more sponsors than a NASCAR team. He's very, very interesting, got a massive following. He's got a dog, which is a pug, called Pizza, that has uh, probably as many Twitter followers as you, Neil. So he's a very very interesting person. Does the dog ride a skateboard as well? I think the dog has more than that. He's uh, he's The dog surfs. He surfs. He's got (laughs) everything. (laughs) <laughs> and the dog has a yacht. 
<laughs> Why not? <laughs> so wait, let me just ask, I did not know you could be a professional skateboarder. How does that how does that work? All right, you you went to competitions and I mean one of them one of the competitions Joey has won is the Manny Mania, which is a Red Bull sponsored uh, tournament, and then you just accrue lots and lots. It's like esports. You don't think it can be monetized, and all of a sudden there's a teenager in his bedroom sitting on ten million dollars that he won last night gaming. <laughs> it's like that's the way it goes. <laughs> that's why. That's why I think all of this is nothing but a front for mob money. You know what I mean? <laughs> all of the sponsorship crap. It's like. Seriously, who has the money to sponsor, you know, people playing video games and skateboarding? But it's true. There's, you know what it is? There's, there's big audiences for it. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. To the point where the NFL is actually worried. The NFL and the NBA are worried because all these young kids coming up, they're not interested in football and basketball. They're interested in BMX biking and skateboarding and video games. So, mm. Mm. Well, so what you're saying is, they're making money, um, not so much prize money, but sponsorship money. That's really what it is. It's really about the audience that's watching these sports are so large that sponsors, to get to that audience, they want to be behind the sport and these athletes. So that's why the analogy to NASCAR, right? Because every car that's in motion, whether or not it wins, they're making money off of all of the... The, the, the ads. Right. And yeah. at one point, NASCAR fans were the most active, engaging, uh, active when it comes to engaging sponsorship. They would go out and consciously support the people who put their logo on the car, knowing that they were in turn supporting their driver that they like. Mm. Mm. Oh, man, what a demonstration of brand loyalty. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, these guys, I mean, guys like Joey, I suppose now you would call them YouTube influencers. But the original kind of rock stars of skateboarding back in the 80s, they were, the, I mean, some of the biggest influencers around. It's funny because uh, I often I, I tour the country giving public talks, and I'm in theaters, like theaters that have, seat one, two, three thousand people. And I have a conversation with the organizer and I say, well, what other things come through here? And they'll mention some, some rock groups that you've heard of and maybe a Broadway show comes through town on the touring group. And then they say, you know, they mention Arnold Schmednick or something, somebody you've never heard of, right? I say, well, who's that? That's a YouTuber. And, and they talk about the fact that there are these people that nobody else has heard of except everyone who cares about that thing and they are immensely loyal and they fill the house every single time. It's like, whoa, this is like some underbelly of things going on. They could take over the world and the rest of us old fogies would never know it. Wow, yeah. But do you remember the guy we had on, Dr. Skateboard? Dr. Skateboard, yeah. Bill, oh, yeah. Bill, Bill Robertson, who, yeah. Does, who, who uses skateboarding to, to actually- teach, teach physics to young people. Exactly, brilliant. And um, you know, so it's- it, we, we actually covered it because it is one of those crossover points between mm -hmm. sports and science. So, yeah. yeah. All right, let me hear what Joey's got to say. Joey. And, and you got to love anybody named Joey. <laughs> Yo, what's up, Neil? Since the COVID-19 put us all on lockdown, the earth has seemed to really benefit from it. I mean, the skies over here in Los Angeles are cleaner than they've ever been. So my question to you is, how do we maintain this positive reaction as we come out of quarantine and open our cities? Ooh, 
There we go. A, a, a COVID-19 question. All right. So he raises a very good and important point. I don't know how this will all settle. Uh, we're recording this now at the end of April, all right, 2020. I don't know how this will all settle. But what I can tell you is anytime a system that has been built up uh, in bits and pieces, some on purpose, some by accident, and then there's this thing you're living in, if there's a shock to the system, then what gets rebuilt after that has the capacity to be done a little more intelligently or a little more wisely, okay? A little, with a little more foresight so that what happens in the future if you have another encounter with a virus that you would not, you would not be so adversely affected as you were today. And to take a, a very parallel example, in 1929, the stock market crashed. Oh my gosh, what was it? A third of the workforce was unemployed and the country said, we can never have this again. It broke the system. And so they went in and they, they put in social security and built things from scratch to get us out of that so that when we came out the other side, we would be better off as a nation. So I, with regard to clean air, yeah, we're driving the car less. Maybe when this is all done, we're not gonna say, gee, I gotta drive my car 500 miles just to make up. You'll say, no, I was pretty comfortable at home. I was got business done on my computer. You know, there are a lot of rethought solutions to problems you never had the occasion, you were never forced to think of before. And I bet now, for me, many more meetings are gonna happen on, you know, on, on, a, on a Zoom meeting or a, um, a Google Hangout. I'm gonna probably schedule more meetings that way. That way, it doesn't, you don't care where people are. You don't have to show up in the same place at the same time. You can be at the same time, but at different places. That's hugely more versatile in connecting people. So this, after this, we, it may redefine what anybody means by having a meeting. And again, back to the clear skies, a lot of that's going to return, I fear, you know, plane travel and cars, but maybe just a little less, maybe a little less. Do you think we're at that watershed? Yes. And so when you say it's a watershed moment, it means you're getting to that crossover point where you say, okay, time to be in a whole other new place. So yes, I think it's a watershed moment. I'm just not, I'm not clairvoyant enough to say, to detail how everything will change, but I know how, how I've changed. Well, I'm going to tell you, Joey, I got a different answer. We're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're all going to die. <laughs> enjoy your life. Enjoy your life is what I'm telling you. We're doomed. Okay. I'm not sure if you saw the original Alien, the Alien movie. It wasn't called Aliens. It was Alien is the first um, Ridley Scott uh, movie that Sigourney Weaver is the lead in. And there's one scene where I believe, I, I don't know the actor's name, but he looks like Bill Pullman. Everybody confuses him with Bill Pullman, but he's not. And he just, he keeps saying, we're all gonna die, man. <laughs> we're, we're all gonna die. This is it, man. This is it. We're all gonna die. And, and Joey, that, enjoy that skateboard, brother. <laughs> I, that's right. Every good movie's got to have the all the we're all going to die person in it. There you go. <laughs> so you've, you've become Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. Yes, yes. I remember him. 
Yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, we're all doomed. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> so you've just made. I mean, you know how astrophysically untrained I am. Um, this sort of the Zoom thing. We've now become able to be in more than one place at the same time. We've we've kind of challenging that. So the pre-model was, I have to be in Los Angeles. I can't stay in New York to meet this person. Now we are balancing ourselves. I mean, I was on a Zoom call yesterday with over 200 people. So I think certain challenges, certain solutions have arisen to problems we didn't even know held us back. Mm. And so these, these virtual talks, and you, you, there's a way to raise your hand um, in some of these video interfaces. So, uh, but again, Joey's real concern was the air was very clear and clean in Los Angeles. And here's the thing. Everyone who remembers it will know what caused the clean air. What happens is there's always a new generation of people born that did not experience what you experienced. And you become the old fogey. You say, I remember back in 2020, there was a, we had a virus. Yeah, Grandpa, okay. <laughs> and we forget so easily. We, 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 either we choose not to remember or we just, we think our time in which we live is the only time there ever was. And it reminds me of a line in uh, West Side Story where the cop is lecturing the, the, the hooligans, right? And the cop says, when I was your age, and the reply was, you were never our age. <laughs> I thought that was a great reply. <laughs> that so encapsulates uh, the, 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 the attitude that can drive people's behavior, not always for the greater good of society. So do we have another question? We do. Uh, and you're going to like who has posed this question. Who's that? Uh, Lindsay Vaughn. The, wait, no. The, the Lindsay Vaughn. Okay, I missed out the D bit. So okay. <laughs> just for dramatic effect. For those of you listening who are not familiar with the Lindsay Vaughn, USA Alpine skier. Now, this is going to take me a minute or two just to go through. Olympic gold medalist, world champion, and multiple World Cup winner. Now, if you don't realize what that entails, this is more, being an alpine skiing is, there's, there's the slalom, there's a giant slalom, there's a super G, there's a whole raft of events that you have to compete in. Lindsay Vaughn is quite simply one of the greatest alpine skiers of all time. With her records and her, her, her tallies and her, the, the, the sort of credits that come with her, she is in the conversation of being the greatest of all time. So having said all of that, let's hear what Lindsay's thought is. Uh, but, but, but Gary, what does it mean for a skier to win a World Cup? I, I think of World Cup, I think of soccer. Okay, so uh, as far as I'm aware, this is where they get into, uh, the, they do the slalom, they do the giant slalom, they do the super Gs and they have a, an individual tournament, and I believe it comes in. So generally, it's a, a World Cup would be of uh, an international 
perspective. Yeah. So, so that was. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm if I'm incorrect, I hold my hand up and I apologise. Mm-hmm. Skiing, skiing isn't or was never has been my thing. Was yeah. never has been is a new phrase I've just invented. Was it never has been? <laughs> but another for the thing World Cup, for the World Cup, I'm pretty sure the defining um, factor for uh, taking the cup home is how well you make a Monte Cristo sandwich. So, <laughs> they, that's right. what, yeah. <laughs> So, so just to, for the etymology of this, Alpine c- derives from, I guess, the Alps. The, the Alps. So the Alps defines the the origin of it. But you can have Alpine skiing in any mountain range, provided you can set up the course properly. Correct. Oh, absolutely. Correct? Ab- absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you've okay. got you've got at, the, at least for the next ten years, he can. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa, what snow? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why are these pictures of these mountains all white at the top? What is that? <laughs> uh, the sad thing is we're laughing, but it's going to happen. So, Gary, you spent so much time introducing Lindsay that we ran out of time in this segment. No, uh, really? <laughs> My bad. Okay. So, we'll get to her question right after the break. This is Star Talk Sports Edition, Cosmic Queries Exercising Your Mind. You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship from a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, the Bahamas, and Panama. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back. Star Talk. Gary. Yes. In the house. <laughs> Chuck. Hey. In, in the house. That's right. Well, in, in, my, in my house. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we're all in our house. We're all in our own houses. <laughs> Homes. Houses. <laughs> so let's get to that question from uh, Alpine skier extraordinaire, Lindsay Vaughn. Let's hear it. A lot of people I know are super into astrology, and I'm wondering if the planetary and star alignment has anything to do with people's behavior. Mm. Well, okay. I, I don't know, Neil. I think I'll take this one, okay? Okay. Here's the answer. No. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. If you're going to say no, you got to say it with a little more, like, no. Okay. <laughs> a little more emphasis, right? <laughs> a little more punch it in there. The one word answer is no, but let's unpack what's going on there, right? In a pre-scientific era where no one had any clue what were the causes and effects of phenomenon experienced in nature, what would happen is, and most people back then were agrarian, so you would have your crops and then the crops would come to bloom when the stars were in a particular configuration in the sky. And other things would bring about the rhythms of the months of the year. And they seem to match up with things you cared about. And the human ego knows no bounds. Mm. So the audacity of anyone to say to themselves, this whole universe revolving above my head knows that I exist and it is sending me signals about my life. That's an extraordinary claim to be making. If you think about that. Makes perfect and sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I'm a cancer. <laughs> so the origins of thinking that the sun, moon, stars, and planets matter to you in your life are deep and, on some levels, understandable, okay? Now, the... So, so, I get that. But we are in a scientific era. The era, basically, since 1600, when Galileo and Francis Bacon started um, introducing the idea that if you think something is true, test it. And a test becomes the measure of what is or is not true in the world. So, but if you don't test things, you can be left believing whatever you want as long as it makes you feel good. And in my experience, speaking to astrologers, they, they will use astrology, the reading of the positions of the sun, moon, and planets, and stars, to account for things in their life they do not control or do not believe they control. But by the way, Shakespeare, 
who was a contemporary of Galileo, penned, the fault, dear Brutus, lies not in the stars, but in ourselves. So astrology becomes a very clean way to absolve yourself of stuff that goes wrong or even to remove credit that you might or should take for something that goes right. So what you've done is you've surrendered your life's fate. Yeah, I got to tell you the truth. I'm sure that was a beautiful explanation, but you lost me at Francis Bacon. All I've been thinking about is a BLT from that point (laughs) forward. I am so hungry right now. Oh my gosh. I am just so hungry. Chuck, you're always thinking about food. I know. Don't bring it up, man. No, no, but that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. uh, It reminds me of um, one of my favorite... I don't know if you actually... No, you turned me on to this, but I forgot who was the progenitor, but the god of the gaps. It's kind of like what you it's mm. just what you just kind of talked about there, but from an astrological an astrology standpoint, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's that same type of deal. Yeah. So if there's something you don't understand, and either don't want to understand it or would rather it be mysterious to you, then it becomes a force that you believe operates on you. And how do you account for it? So you might say the God you worship was responsible for it. But if you're not particularly religious, uh, then it's your astrological sign was responsible for it. And it turns out that astrology anti-correlates with your religiosity. So in other words, the, the more religious you are, the less likely you are to follow astrology. You already have an accounting system for what happens in your life. So, so all I'm saying is that, no, the constellations set up by ancient peoples two, 3,000 years ago and put their own mythological figures on the sky, Aquarius, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, you just go right on down the zodiac um, to today believe that being born when the sun was aligned with that constellation and that character profile of the the mythological creature or element or person that's in the sky, um, you are seeding your own control of your life's fate to forces outside of yourself. And they're forces that don't even exist outside of yourself. Now, how do we know they don't exist? Because if they were there, we would be able to measure them. And they don't. We measure all kinds of other forces. We measure the light from the planets and the gravity from the planets. We know how much that is and what effect it would have. Um, I got one other element here. Um, People like to think about the full moon and its effect on the tides. And we're mostly warm. Well, we're 70% water, so it's got to have an effect on me. (laughs) Only on you, Chuck. Not anybody else. (laughs) So first of all, tidal forces affect everything, not just water. So um, in fact, the solid earth rises and falls uh, on, in the tides. Not, not as, doesn't move as much as the fluids do, like the water does, but um, tides affect everything first. Second, um, the, f- the tidal effect of the full moon on you is actually no greater than any other phase of the moon. Uh, the reason because why- Because the moon is still there. It's still there. It's just the same damn distance. You know, so so the reason why tides are higher during full moon has nothing to do with the moon. It has to do with the fact that the sun is aligned 
with the moon during full moon. And the sun's tides add to the moon's tides. Mm. So you get extra high tides because the sun plus the moon are giving you those tides, not just the moon itself. And which um, one of those tides do you eat to get rid of COVID-19? <laughs> the tide pods, yes. <laughs> so Gary, you got, I think we have time for one more question. All right, so he's a friend of the show. Uh, He's a, he, Chuck and I took to him immediately when we were doing a show with him, Cam F. Awesome. Now, if you're not familiar with Cam, he's an amateur boxer, but he is a super heavyweight Golden Globe boxer and a man that was on the fringes of qualifying. Hold on, Golden, golden Gloves. Golden Gloves. Golden Gloves. Yes, I'm thinking of the, uh, the film and TV awards. <laughs> yeah. Golden Gloves. Okay. Golden Globe. He may, he may be an actor about to get a Golden Globe. But, but he, also, he has also beat the hell out of the Hollywood foreign press. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So he's in there with Golden Gloves. And he is a vegan athlete because we did a show, Chuck and I, on plant-based athletes. And we fell upon... <laughs> plant-based athletes. <laughs> I made a plants. <laughs> no, no, no. So this, this, is, this is the kicker for me because it wasn't something we thought about before we spoke to Cam. But then all of a sudden I said, how, how did you find yourself becoming a vegan? And Cam said, well, it was for a bet. Yeah, he, he, lost, became, he lost a bet. <laughs> he became vegan for a bet and he's actually not turned back. Uh, mm. So, so it's a, it's an interest. He's a really interesting character because he does a lot of youth talks and things. Chuck, if I remember yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's uh, he's not just a guy that uh, hits people in the ring. He's he's out there trying to educate and bring thought processes to young people that are positive. Excellent. Excellent. So let's hear his question. When I'm not punching people, I'm a youth speaker, and going back into schools made me realize how boring science is. What advice would you give to teachers? to make science as sexy as you've made it? Wow. Good question. Really good question. Ooh. I'm going to say fishnets and heels. <laughs> no, Chuck. He said, how do you make it sexy? <laughs> Just saying. So um, I, I would say it's not just science. There are many subjects that the teacher does not do justice to. Because they're teaching either as a satchel of facts that you have to memorize for an exam. Let me, let me back up for a moment and pose the following uh, question to both of you, okay? Um, in your life, how many teachers have you had that have left a singular sort of impact or impression on you as a student? We've all had dozens of teachers, possibly scores of teachers if you've been to graduate school, and I'm betting it's not more than just a few on the fingers of one hand. Chuck, how many for you? Oh, I could tell you easily. Mrs. Smallwood, Mrs. Singer, uh, Mr. Ritano, Mr. McNeil, Dr. Haran, Dr. Barsky, uh, Dr. Reed. Oh, you're already up to like seven. Oh, my gosh. Hey, man, I, I had a pretty pretty oh. awesome education. Oh, excuse me. Chuck breaks, breaks the mold here. No, yeah, I had, I had some great teachers. But, I mean, in comparison to Ed, the seven, and there's probably three more that I could roll off the top of my head, I can't remember the names of the rest. <laughs> okay. okay. I mean, so I can't ten, even remember their name. So it's 10 out of all the rest of the teachers. 10 out of however many teachers I've had. And, and Gary, how about you? I, I'm nowhere near as many as Chuck. I, I mean, I was blessed with uh, a good education, uh, a, although it's public school education. It wasn't private. Uh, I had... 
one geography teacher who was a former police officer and she brought a sense of reality to the things that she would educate us with. Uh, and her name, Mrs. Thurwell, uh, had another teacher, a history teacher, Mr. Newton, who would bring history to life on a chalkboard because he was a member of the RA, the Royal Academy of Arts, and he would start to draw a Roman gladiator in a fight or he'd bring some 16th century battle to life on the chalkboard. Things like that, just an, an ability to connect and make things real to a young, impressionable mind. Those How many teachers were there? Maybe two or three, maybe okay. five. For if me, only Mr. Newton was your science teacher. Well, that's what I'm getting at. So I, for me, there's three teachers. My point here is, I bet all those teachers that re you remember, you remember their names, you remember sitting in the class, listening to them, that I bet they're from all different subjects, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. So star teachers don't all collect into one academic subject relative to another. So all I'm saying is, it's not that science is inherently boring, it's that any more than any other subject is inherently boring. It's gonna depend on how engaged the teacher is. And the more engaged the teacher is, the more you know it as a student. And you'll take a class and it's the favorite class you've ever had in your life, and you would have never believed that would have been the case walking in on day one until the teacher opens their mouth and they engage you just the way Gary described. So what I'm saying is that the cloning machine for humans, when we finally figure it out, first people you put in there are is everybody's favorite teachers. <laughs> okay? and, by, and, and by the way, they're probably not only your favorite teachers, they're probably the favorite teachers of many other people as well. Wow. So, so the engagement level, I think, is important. But also, I think science more generally needs to be taught, again, not as a barrel of facts, but as a way of querying nature and a way of understanding the operations of things. It's, so, so when you come up to something you've never seen before, you don't say, I've never seen this before, so I don't know anything about it. You'll say, I've never seen this before, but I know how, but I know how matter, forces, and energy interplay. And I can figure out what I'm looking at based on what I learned, on the fundamentals of what I learned in my science class. That is an empowering place to be. And I, in my experience, not all teachers even know to take you there. And even if they do, they might not succeed at that. And that's why star teachers are so rare and so precious. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know what you do in terms of getting... I don't think there are, I think there are bad teachers. <laughs> that, I'm trying, I'm trying to be polite. I don't know, but I think there are bad teachers and they're, they're very knowledgeable about the subject mm -hmm. and they want to teach, but they don't know. I think we need better training for some of the people who are teaching. Or, or, or only select teachers who are enthusiastic on a level where it's infectious to whoever it is they're talking to. Yeah, and, and I mean, yeah, I mean, teaching is communication. I mean, there's a lot of people who are, they really know what they're talking about, but they don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, and Chuck, one of my most controversial tweets ever was the following, ready? Those students who earn straight A's do so not because of good teachers, 
but in spite of bad teachers. Yes, that makes perfect sense. You know why? Because if you have straight A's, you clearly have a bad teacher in that bunch. Yes. Not every one of those teachers has to be an aces across the board teacher. Okay, it's imp- it, w- it would be almost impossible, even at the best school there is, to have every single teacher be at the exact same level of competence, but yet you have A's in every one of your classes consistently year after year after year. So really, it's you and your excitement for learning and achieving that is driving your straight A performance, not the teacher. Exactly. So you can break it into three broad categories. And then we got to wrap it up real quick. So that's with the straight A students. Then there's like the bad students. They'll get low grades no matter how good the teacher is. Okay? Right. Now there is the middle. These are the students where the, where the quality of the teacher will matter to their ability to learn. Okay? And if you're a teacher and you call me up and I say, oh, I want to show you my A students, I say... We have nothing to talk about. But if you say, instead, I want to show you my students that started as a C and they're now making a B plus, I'll say, bring them on. Because now that is the handiwork of the teacher getting, getting manifested. And, and so you're, you, I don't measure how good a teacher you are by how many of your students got A's. I'm not doing that. No. No. Tell, show, show me the student who was about to drop out and is now getting C's and is actually, has some enthusiasm that they didn't have before. Show me the student getting C's, now getting B's. Show me the student getting B's, now getting A's. And Show me the day. student that's getting C's and is now president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> that. And you know what's more, I, 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 we got to end on this last thought. What's more important than everything I've just said is the ability of the teacher to stimulate your urge to want to continue learning. Because you'll spend many, many more hours not in school than in school. And if you're a lifelong learner, the body of knowledge and wisdom and insight you will glean on your own energy will dwarf whatever it is you acquired in school. And these are the people that continue to be productive throughout their lives. That's what we should strive for. That's it. Yeah, Gary, what were you going to say before we, before we it's, end? It's funny. You're talking about academia, but the same is, is actually true in the world of sports. You can you get a great coach, you'll take an average player and make him a good player. And we have that maxim, and it's and it and they, they spin it around. And you're always looking for that great coach because that coach will understand you on a human level, will understand where you are on your timeline, will understand your ability level, will be able to bring more out of you through the combination of different things have uh, an energy that they transmit to you in a positive way, all of those things. And now and again, those coaches appear. And when they do, they generally provide special, special performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There you go. Dudes, we ran out of time. We did. Uh, Chuck, Gary, it's always good to have you doing this. I love it. Oh, man. We've got some more questions lined up. So, uh, Oh, we've got to do some more of these. Right. This is the inauguration, the inaugural... Uh, exercise your mind episode absolutely sports edition for Cosmic Queries so we will keep doing this again All right, Chuck always good to have you always a pleasure All right, Gary thank you my friend All right, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson your personal astrophysicist as always bidding you to keep looking up
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.